Okay, who among you guys has tried to buy a car recently? Okay, forget the fact that they are outrageously more expensive than just a year ago, but some companies are now, it's unbelievable, shipping cars minus some of the electronic features because they can't get their hands on the microchips needed to make all the bells and whistles function. I mean, this goes to April when the shortage due to the COVID lockdowns at the ports in China hit such critical mass because chip makers could not get components delivered that Audi, this caught my eye, Audi started offering semiconductor shortage packages. They actually called it that. These are cars which cut popular but not totally necessary features like wireless charging pad, adaptive cruise control, and I don't know why they call this not totally necessary, but blind spot monitoring. Okay. As manufacturers from cars to smartphones are still scrambling, enter my guest today, Mark Adams. So Mark knows everything about this. Not only was he the CEO of chip giant Micron, he's now the top dog at Smart Global Holdings, a chip company that he's run since the pandemic. But his story of how he got to the pinnacle of the tech world is really one of the best we've heard. Mark, welcome to Everyone Talks to Liz. Great. Thanks very much for having me, Liz. Oh, it's great to have you because you're kind of the guy I need to talk to. I mean, let's get to the state of the situation first. Is the chip shortage getting any better? I mean, how did we get into this position in the first place? Well, that's a great question. I wish I could answer that with 100% (laughs) accuracy. I certainly have opinions. Um, I think first and foremost, uh, I grew up, as you said, I grew up in the memory business. And that in and of itself is a very cyclical industry. And the reason why is because when you're manufacturing semiconductors, the capital expense bill to do so is extraordinary. Mm-hmm. For example, when I was at Micron, we were probably spending five to $7 billion a year in CapEx. Um, and you have to be in forever because if you stop spending, you're going to lose uh, the advantage to your competitors. And so I think what happens is that with the stimulus uh, money coming through COVID and you know the, the economy was humming along and demand for more notebooks at home because people were working from home and right. infrastructure, have you, the demand just took off. And then um, it wasn't, in this case, it was six or seven different um, vertical semiconductor areas that were short. And so that to me is the difference this time around, which is the complexity that all seven, when I say seven, I mean microprocessors, I mean uh, analog, I mean CPUs, GPUs, memory, all these different verticals have to line up and get better at once. And the complexity of that happening is just extraordinary and really unfounded anything I've ever seen in my career. I think the one thing that um, when you ask, is it getting any better? My biggest fear may be playing out is it there might be a demand side correction, given the headwinds in the market that we're all seeing. Um, just this afternoon, I believe, I didn't read all the detail, but I believe some news out on Apple and their demand, and there has been over the recent weeks. Um, so I think there may be a demand side correction. Which helps. The, but- Doesn't that help? I mean, because if we all go back to 2020, I don't know about you, but so Fox was told that the building basically had to shut down in Midtown Manhattan. So they set up home studios in 42 anchors houses. And it was like 
trying to put spit and sealing wax. They would get anything they could, but it was hard because you're talking about highly technological setups here. So we were running around ordering ring lights and and all kinds of cords and chargers and Belkin and all of this (laughs) stuff. So the demand spiked. And then, of course, they couldn't fulfill a lot of this is what I'm hearing you say. Correct. That's just incredible. But but it's it's loosening up a bit, right? I think I I wouldn't go that far yet, but I see signs that because of the the demand leveling out a little bit, I mean, right now, mobile phones and uh, notebook computers, you know, thank goodness we don't have much of our business in that sector, but mobile phones and and computers, especially notebook computers, are softening quite a bit, Mm -hmm. which I think led some of the commentary from Apple and others. Um, So the consumer is voting now, and right now that sentiment is is somewhat weak. Um, But the enterprise is still sending pretty good demand signals. So I think actually what you're suggesting is kind of right. It it may be the best of both worlds where um, there's a little bit of demand softening, but still good strength, hopefully, through the cycle here. And that's what we're all aspiring for. Well, speaking of best of both worlds, you have come from a couple of different worlds. You're in this CEO position now. You're big leadership for years and years now in the technology world. But a different world that you came from, you were raised by a single mom and you put yourself through school, even though, as I understand it, you were quite the football player and you could have grabbed scholarships at other schools. You you chose one that you actually had to pay your full way on. Talk about your childhood a little bit. Yeah, it was um, it was really interesting because my mother was such a good example of this where, you know, I think we we, we all, as we were talking about, even during the, the preliminary discussion today, we all kind of have life issues that kind of present themselves. Mm-hmm. And I think we, we mirror great examples in our lives if you if you have them. And and my mother, you know, came to a fork in the road where she was left with very little and she decided to step up and, and really work super hard, very committed to family and, and just uh, operated from a great place of integrity and values. And it's one thing to see that, and read that, but it's another thing to live with someone who does it day in, day out. And it just rubs off on people. I think it's just that's the way life should be. And so um, she was such a great example for me. And so when I ever got to these moments in life where it's like, eh, I want to take the easy path. Well, that's not what my mother did. And it came out to be more rewarding. And I think she would say the same thing. Um, definitely a more rewarding path, but um, the work ethic and uh, the sense of values that she instilled in all of us, it just it, it's something I've carried through throughout my life. This is such music to my ears because I try. And I think one of the best parts about being under lockdown and, and COVID was that my kids saw me working really hard because they don't see right. me when I'm at the studio. But but there I was. Every, I mean, 5 a.m. I was up and I was reading in and I was running around and they're trying to talk to me. I'm like, no, 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 that's going to have to wait till 4.01 p.m. when I'm off the set. But it it is really important for kids to see it in front of them as an example. I was just going to say, I so agree with you because, look, at some point, kids don't want to be told stuff anymore. And I get it. I was a kid, obviously. Someone are you? I still am a kid. <laughs> but I would just say that it's really the subconscious adoption of what's going on around them that makes an imprint that we all can't quantify. And so it's funny because you say, are my kids listening to me? Are they picking up on things? Blah, 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 blah. And then they do something. It's like they just absorb, you know, and they I think do. I absorb for my mother. It sounds like your kids had a chance to absorb 
not being told, not being dictated to, not being given something to read, but really just watch it and watch it happen. And I think that's so much more powerful when people live the lifestyle and the values and the integrity of what you're talking about versus being told it. Because, you know, at some point at 13 or 14, they think they're too smart, like I did. And you need to kind of get a different communication vehicle. And I think living examples are much more powerful. Oh, my God. I've not heard it put like that, but now I'm seeing it, that through osmosis, from seeing it for these kids, it's better than do your homework or, you know, you you do have to realize you've got to work hard to succeed in life. (laughs) It's like, Mom, stop, please. What does that mean? old kid but watching someone like you said you know work endless hours and and go in and do their work and, and not have the the time necessarily to do all the fun things you like to do because there is a commitment and an obligation and a team participation element to this just all these good examples they they kind of just they work their way in the background is how i look at it but mark so this brings me to boston college You were offered other scholarships to play football at other schools, and I would imagine money was tight. As you said, you had a single mom and things weren't so easy. Yet you chose BC. That is an expensive school, and you didn't have have a scholarship, correct? Why'd you go that route? Um, At the time, uh, I just wanted to go for it being big time. I didn't didn't want to just go play at any school, Mm -hmm. and... Um, I had seen BC and, uh, it just is a special place. And, you know, I, I think at the end of the day, it's, it's something I tell kids now, you know, and when I interview or I speak at Santa Clara university, um, try not to make decisions because of money. Cause that, if you work hard enough, that'll all take care of itself. It and does. I had, yes. yes, I had jobs, I had multiple jobs through, you know, I'm, through, through college, you know, just whether just working at restaurants or bars or what have you. And, you know, it, it worked out. My mom and I did it. And I would just say that um, the other side of that is, that, again, it was just it was just good discipline. I had a great load of fun. I was just at my BC reunion like a month ago and it was just a blast. So I didn't feel like I missed anything, but it was a it was kind of a work life balance that that some of the stuff just helped. So I, I made a decision because I wanted to go for it being, you know, the best, the best. Mm-hmm. And, you know, by the way, and I could argue that, you know, for the football piece of it, it didn't really work because I, you know, <laughs> didn't get a chance to play Heisman Trophy and that, that happens. But in the life uh, event is like, man, I look back and like, I worked, I played football, got pretty good grades and had a blast. That's kind of how I want to go through life. Oh, yeah. I mean, if you can check those boxes, you are in the good. Absolutely. This is Everyone Talks to Liz, and we'll be right back. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Clayman. Just go to Indeed.com slash Clayman right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Clayman. 
Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Now, I'm really interested. I always want to know what people's first job out of college was. Sure. So um, I ended up taking a job at NCR, which is national, was the former National Cash Register. Um, and I took it, though, in a, in, a, in a very entrepreneurial business for them. So this was back in the IBM mainframe digital VAX systems world where everything was still proprietary systems and and IBM and DEC were the two household names. And NCR had just developed a Unix systems business, which oh, was the-, wow. the open- Now you're going way back, Unix. Yeah, I'm sorry. I'm <laughs> both of them. I'm dating myself for sure. Um, and so, but this was really cool because I, as a 24-year-old kid, I was driving around New England, knocking on doors, trying to sell people on something radically different, not like incrementally different. And it got a lot of tailwind. There's a lot of talk about open systems. And this is how companies like Sun Microsystems and AT&T and NCR got into computing. Um, and so I went to this division and it was, it was, this is a trade that's followed me. I've always kind of gone places that were um, a little bit unorthodox, like kind of new challenging things, but they ended up being up. Like I had, I had just open roads to go try anything to win. And like, they didn't expect anything in this business and we did great. I mean, NCR got to be the largest Unix server provider by the time we were at it, by the time I went to business school in 93, mm-hmm. it was just incredible because it was just a good timing and it was a great uh, era in technology where open systems did start to take hold both on the Wintel platform and also back in the uh, Unix server world. That's a whole different language. <laughs> but uh, you know what isn't yeah. a whole different language that I truly understand? Taking the road less traveled. Taking that kind of different road. Or I always say, you know, when I speak to students, I say packages, you know, opportunities are going to fly past you in packages you don't recognize. Grab them. If you just pick the ones you recognize, that's what everybody's doing, you know. And and that road less traveled can really lead you to the top in in ways you never imagined you you just referenced business school you went to harvard business school why do people stop what they're doing as far as a career path and go get their mba what was it at the heart for you to do that well i grew up in sales and you know for better or for worse sales people get kind of boxed in as salespeople and in the, on that path you know, I'm not going to make up anything funnier than or phonier than the story I'm about to tell you. I just wanted to make a transition to, to broader general management. Okay. And I knew that a MBA would afford me better opportunities to go take that next step beyond just selling. And so, um, you know, at the time, I remember a girlfriend's father telling me, because we were making pretty good money selling new servers. And he was telling me, you know, that's a lot of money to leave on the table. But again, I go back to that thing about not making decisions based on money, mm-hmm. certainly not money, invest in your future. And so, you know, I, um, I took out a, a whopping loan that paid, you thought Harvard, you thought Boston College was expensive, <laughs> Harvard, Harvard was pretty expensive too. But I did that and, and it made an investment in myself. And to your other point about the road less traveled, of course, you know, I'm sitting there thinking, I'm a Boston College guy, I'm a Harvard guy, I'm gonna retire on the Cape Cod someday. And my first job was running Latin America in Miami of all places. So these, as you said, I think you said it really, really well. Life's going to throw a lot at you. Pick yes. it and, and you know, choose what resonates with you and lights your fire. And, and so you just never know. But the Harvard thing was mostly about 
I had a really good run and I wanted to take another step in my career. Jack Welch always says, bet on yourself, bet on yourself. Now, let's talk a little bit about Micron. Okay, for those of you who don't know, Micron Technology, huge semiconductor company. 2008, you joined. What was the path from your first position there to CEO? So I was the company I was the chief operating officer was a company called Lexar Media. Mm -hmm. They were a flash memory consumer products company. And um, when I was acquired there, Steve Appleton, uh, who was the former chairman and CEO, was uh, uh, was part of the obviously the engagement to the acquisition. Mm -hmm. And um, he asked me to come over because it's a very technical company, semiconductor R&D, manufacturing, process technology, all the stuff that I can't even explain. Nor I would argue I probably didn't understand it all. Um, <laughs> Fake I would it till you make it. He could, exactly. He, um, he presented me and said, look, my company needs to get more market-driven, market-facing. And I would love you to come on and run the consumer products group at our business. And I did that for a couple of years. And literally, there were 17 people uh, in our officer group, and I was the only uh, marketing person. Mm. There was, again, all these manufacturing, engineering, and R&D folks, him and myself. And I laughed because you talk about fake it till you make it. I would say something like, hey, shouldn't, shouldn't we track and market segments better? And like, like that's a, how much of a layup is that? And like, <laughs> they would be like, wow, that's brilliant. I'm like, uh-oh. <laughs> so I went through that. I started in consumer products. And then um, he called me and said, hey, our VP of sales is going to Taiwan to take on another role. Um, I need your help in to recruit. And he wanted me to help him recruit a VP of sales to fill that role because he knew I had a background in sales and marketing. And so I said, of course, we were talking about it a little bit. And of course, my wise guy side of my personality, the last thing I said is I go, shit, if it, oh, pardon my language, I said, shoot, if it, if it pays any better than you're paying me, I'll take the job. Yeah. And we what about me? We laughed. We laugh. Well, I didn't really mean it, by the way, because I didn't want to go back into sales. So, so he calls me back a day later and said, Adams, that was really funny. You're taking the job. So <laughs> I remember Steve Appleton. What what a gent. What an amazing leader. No doubt. No doubt. And then five years later, after a pretty good run, he calls me up to his office. And I'm thinking, what am I going to do with my life? I'm not going to stay in sales at Micron forever, whatever, blah, blah, blah. And stunned me. He goes, hey, you're going to be the next CEO of this company. Oh. You're going to name you president soon. And you're going to do that. And we had just gone to $1.87 couple of years earlier, the lights were flickering. You know, my Intel almost bought us for $5 billion. And then the company's worth 70 billion today. Right. Oh. Um, so like I started to, you know, kind of see him, uh, and his plan. And I was excited about that. Uh, and that was kind of the evolution of how I went through Mike round. We, yeah, we, we had some wild dark times and some really exciting times. Um, and then of course, uh, you know, not to get too sad here, but uh, five days after I was appointed president, right. um, he passes away in the uh, in the airplane uh, accident that he had up in Boise in late January of 2012. I remember. That must have been was, awful for yeah. you because he really mentored you. He wasn't just your oh, boss. No doubt. Oh, absolutely. You're so right. Um, he was, you know, and again, the characteristics, you know, you think about this as we get 
older, we can look back. I mean, it wasn't just how good he was at what he did. It was just the values, the examples, the coaching, um, the confidence he instilled in people. And so, yeah, he, he that was a big shock to the system for all of us at Micron, and certainly for me personally because I just was a, he was just such a tremendous mentor. I think about that, and it it you really is just a reminder. So cliche. Tomorrow is not promised. Make the most of what happens today. But for you to have just become president and then you lose him, that that must have been quite a shock. But yet you were still in a position where you had to leave this company. How far did you have to dig down deep within your gut and yourself and your heart to pick yourself up and then lead the troops? You know, I think it's... Um... I don't want to take too much credit for that because I think as human beings, we're wired to respond to stuff, mm-hmm. right? Like, uh, and I think that it was almost happening so quick that I didn't think about what you just mentioned. And I understand that it's all true underneath the hood, Yeah, but it really didn't. I mean, you had to lead. I mean, you had to, I mean, I remember going down to, to the R and D building with a team of 400 people and saying, Hey, we got to, let's rally. Like Steve wants us to rally. And you know, it was, it was an intense, I'll tell you what, it was an intense two weeks because we had to galvanize the troops and, as you might imagine, there's no playbook for this one. I mean, this this hit everybody out of the blue inside the company and our customers and suppliers. I mean, it was, it was one of the lone times that they actually stopped the trading of the company's stock because of the event, obviously. It was significant. They halted uh, it. For, That's right. Yeah, for a couple hours or what have you in the afternoon. And, and so I don't think it was as much about picking myself up as much as like, hey, man, first of all, if you knew him, he was a massive competitor. He loved to compete in everything he did. And this was his, you know, kind of his company. And it was almost a privilege to kind of be in a position of leadership to help guide this company, navigate it to the path it's on today. So what brought you to leave? And and now you're the CEO oh, of I, Smart Global Holdings. Uh, I had uh, some health problems in the fall of 2015. And um, they uh, it was more complex than I'd like to get into on a, on a, a podcast like this. But it's okay. Uh, very time for me. And um, so, you know, under the doctor's best orders and family members who were involved, it was just time to, to, to take a pause. And I had, I went to the Micron board who was fantastic. Mm. They were great. Take care of yourself. Um, and we're here and what have you, and whatever you need, we're here. And they were great. Um, and I don't know if you know, this other part is like 30 days after that, uh, that announcement, um, my wife ended up being diagnosed with breast cancer. And so you talk about life coming at you. Yeah, This was the worst of times. And yet it ended up being probably the best year of our lives. Mm-hmm. Meaning we got reconnected in our relationship coming together at a time that was just so volatile in terms of so many different things, but we were able to help each other through these big transitions in our life. And trust me, I did not want to leave. It is a great company. Um, the team that I recruited, most of them are still in place. They're just great people. Um, and, you know, and they're a great company. So like, it's, it was, it was devastating professionally, but you know, God had a different plan. I've heard it. I've heard a really funny expression before is like, if you want to make God laugh, tell him your plan. Mm-hmm. And so I, I certainly thought I had a plan, but he had different ideas. And so my wife and I went through that year and then I joined the boards of, uh, Cadence Design, which is a $40 billion EDA company, uh, as well as I'm on the board of Seagate Technology, which is a hard drive storage company. And so I thought my life was going to be more in the 
the board, you know, uh, advisor role. And, uh, um, you know, that, that was the path I was on. I realized that, you know, from my age, that's not really where my heart was. And as I kind of got through the health issues and got to a better place there, um, you know, uh, I, I still had the bug again. You wanted to leave. For sure. Oh, I get it. I completely get it. I, I always feel that you've got to stay in it because once you stop, my dad, who was a surgeon, would say, Liz, how many people do I know who the just a few days or months or years after they retired, they died? He said, "If don't no retire. Doubt. Don't ever retire. Just keep going. Just keep going. Uh, you, just You think about, like, I, I obviously I'm, I've got an athletic uh, interest in life. I've just always loved sports. But you look at, like, two legendary football coaches, Joe Paterno and Bear Bryant, both died within 12 months oh, yeah. of retiring. Oh, yeah. And I think there's something, you know, and by the way, I, I, you know, going through the empty nest transition that we just did because my youngest went off to college um, and they're all out of the house. You know, it gets back to two things. There's a Harvard study that uh, that talked about life and fulfillment. And it's really the two P's people, meaning connectivity and relationships. Mm. And it doesn't necessarily have to be that you have to work a job and get paid till you're 90, but the idea of having some type of purpose. And I think as you get go on in life, it's less about, financial financials and materiality and more about giving back mm -hmm. but some type of purpose for people to to make them motivated and see purpose in life because to your point if you retire and you're just doing the the golf or the the beaches and what have you that gets old quick and and i think it gets to people to where they stop really living and they even if they're physically alive they're not really living yeah don't don't fear the the stumbling blocks that you come upon because they may very well end up being stepping stones, right? No doubt. That's a great way of putting it. Hey, it is so great to hear your story. We wish you happiness and health and and future success as you continue to plow on. You're a great inspiration to me, Mark. Thank you. Liz, thanks for very much. Good to talk to you. Oh, Mark Adams, always a pleasure. And so you guys, do you see this? This is why we bring you people like this, because their stories should bring you right in front of an example, right in front of your face of how it's done and how it can be done. Thank you so much, as always, for listening to Everyone Talks to Liz. And now you can tune in and say everyone sees Liz because I'm Monday through Friday, 3 p.m. Eastern. You know that. Fox Biz. I'll see you then.